Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tornaris podcast. I am James Leonard, and I'm joined by my good friend. Hi, everyone. Timmy Dan, um, Rowan is always is on the cameras and the sound. And this week, my wife is the guest, Gillian Butler. How are you, Gillian? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> It's great to have you here. Thanks. It's a family affair tonight. Um, for the people who don't know you, where are you from? What's your, what's your name? So for the people that don't know me, my name is Gillian Butler and I'm from Churchfield. Yeah, and what school did you go to? Churchfield, Marmalade School. Marmalade once, City. Yeah, it was once known as. Do you remember I used to be called Marmalade yeah. City? What was that yeah. about again? The I think it was, a, it was, from what I heard, I think it was the teacher was, and um, after asking a child what Marmalade was, I could be wrong. Do you know what I heard? Or something I think like that. the school, remember school around the corner? Mm. Yeah. School around the corner was down in Churchfield Primary School, and Jerry Ryan asked one of the children, do you get Marmalade for lunch? And the child around and says, what's Marmalade? James, I did, I did not know, I didn't know, know what marmalade was as an adult. Uh, we love jam. Jam, yeah. <laughs> jam or red sauce and bread. <laughs> or sugar. Bread and sugar, sugar as well. Was sugar, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, Marmalade City, so marmalade. it's called Padre Pio. Yeah. And um, that's okay. actually, a f just to show, that is a fantastic school out the moment. Yeah. The services, they, they want to, what they do for young <clears throat> people, uh, young kids, especially kids with... Um, any intellectual disabilities or anything like that, mm. they're absolutely okay. probably the best. And that's city. great to hear. Yeah. It's a different school from the one that Seamus went to. Remember Seamus yeah. here? Because he didn't like that school. Yeah. But look, we, you find a lot about that. Go back and watch Seamus's podcast. But can you tell me about your family? Have you many brothers and sisters? So I have 13 brothers and sisters all together. Um, uh, I grew up with six. There was five. Yeah. Six, six of us in the home, as in siblings. Um, I'm from the traveling community. So I was a traveler. Um, I went to Churchfield school as we just talked about. Um, never really liked it. It was grand. I suppose, look, it was better than secondary school. Um, but when I say I never really liked it, like what child, I don't know any child that really loves school. Um, you know, we all have different experiences there, but, um, Yeah, I never, I never liked it. And my earliest memory is being pushed into a classroom, you know, um, when I didn't want to be there crying and, um, and just told to sit at the desk and, you know, just kind of left there crying. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I just, I didn't feel like I fitted in well. Do you ever experience discrimination as a child because your dad was a traveler? Um, <clears throat> I don't like the honest answer to that now is <clears throat> when I think back on it, 
Yes, probably. Um, but it was how I felt knowing where I came from because I knew the perception out there of people's thoughts or ideas around the traveling community. Mm. So I was well aware of, um, society's views, let's say. Mm. Um, and I carried that. I carried that through my childhood and into my teenage years and into my adult life, I suppose, until I really kind of got into recovery and, um, started seeing things through a very yeah. different lens. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I knew from a very early age, you were different. Travelers weren't liked by the majority. Mm. I, I knew that. Does that make you feel like, uh, you're different to the rest of your friends? Yes, I've actually, do you know, I suppose I've walked away from friendships that I talk about friendships because of, um, comments that mm. have been made, do you know, words like, I, I hate the words, but like knacker and things mm. like that. It's like um, marginalized, being marginalized. You feel like you're like yeah. someone's, like you're, you're shit on someone's shoe, you know, that you're less than. Um, I think certain people will never understand. And to be honest with you, I never really understood the impact of that word until I started growing up with Gillian, mm. you know, because mm. it's such a prevalent word. But people and, just throw it around like it's, but it's a not, lot of the time people don't, right. I, I can say, like, I can, I can honestly say for a lot of the time people don't realize the impact it has on, um, and some of them the traveling community. Because that word, I suppose, f- because I'm from the traveling community, it's loaded with a lot of negativity mm. for me. Um, and when I think of the experiences that my dad has as a, had as a child and, you know, I suppose through his adulthood and he's, he has shared some of his stories with you as well, James. Yeah. Um, not very nice experiences. And that word represents all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And I've been in company which are where that word would be drawn out, you know, mm-hmm. and I've, I'm very aware of it because yeah. of Gillian and it's only then you really appreciate, you know, how hurtful a word can be, you know, so it was only really, uh, yeah. was, ignorance, a lot of it is ignorance as well. Like. It is, but you see, there, that's to a certain point. I accept that, but to, to a certain point, because when you, when somebody becomes aware of the impact that that word or that type of language, it's not just that word, there's other words as well that to be thrown around the place. Um, but when people become aware of the impact that their language has on another group of people, they have a choice. Mm-hmm. They can change how they speak. Um, or they can continue doing what they're doing, knowing that the impact, knowing mm-hmm. the impact that they're having. <clears throat> and I, I suppose in the past, I have walked away from people that I would have considered friends. Because they would have used that, that kind of type of language in my company and I would have pulled them up in it and had a conversation. Um, and then they would continue a slip of the mouth. Fair enough. But I, I have a choice then whether I'm going to associate myself with those people or not. So I removed myself from that. Um, I suppose that's fair enough. Of course it is. It is fair enough. And I, like today, one of my best friends, like yeah. she's one of the closest people to me. Um, when I first met her, <clears throat> she actually used that word. Mm-hmm. And I remember I said, like, I said it to her, I was like, look, that, that word really affects me. That type of language really affects me and, and it impacts on me. And we had a conversation around it and she was so apologetic because she actually didn't realize it. That's what I'm saying. She, she did not genuinely realize it. And um, she, she never again used that word, certainly mm. not in my company anywhere. And she was very mindful of mm. the impact that that had on me and so apologetic and Best friend today. I think that shows the difference between ignorance and racism. That's what I'm saying. Like when you, when you, I suppose when you're sitting down with somebody and you're having that conversation, explaining how it impacts on another group of people, then they have a choice. Mm. Are they going to continue using that type of language or those terms? 
Are they going to say, do you know what? I don't want to be part of discriminating against another group. I don't want to be part of hurting another group when there's no need for it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But getting back to your own story, <clears throat> um, you didn't like uh, primary school, secondary school? Secondary school, it was just, I was just turning up really. Um, but not all the time either. Um, no, going back to primary school, just to mention, my mum actually pulled out a certificate there not so long ago. Um, yeah, you were the best attendance for three or four years without missing a day. Without missing a day. That had nothing to do with the fact that the school was about, <laughs> well, about 20 metres across the road. Yeah. Like. Roll out of bed and end up yeah. in the class. And that's what we did, Manny, the morning, just roll out of bed and go to school. But, um, but then I went to primary school and, um, and you, I've, you've talked about it and mm. you've talked about it, the transition. Mm. You know, it's yeah. difficult. But then in secondary school, I, I, I did not like that. I hated it. Um, didn't have any experience like that, no. Um, but I just didn't want to be there. And I think I got to the end of first year and then I just, I was gone. Um, but throughout that, you know, I was going, I was beyond the hop in around the town, you know, messing around and very innocent, like in many ways. Um, <clears throat> and when yeah. No, when you're in first year and, and the hop, you're only really about 13, like. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you I know, was. I've been children telling at them thirteen happened. are very innocent, like. But you know, if you can imagine your daughter Timmy thirteen doing that, thirteen is a child as well, and mm-hmm. that's very kind of uh, abnormal behaviour for a child, isn't it? At that stage, was there was there any use of substances or, or any kind of alcohol or drugs or anything like? Mm-hmm. Do you know, for me, yeah, yeah. I suppose, yeah. Look, I would have, I would have experimented, I suppose, yeah, um, at a very young age, and. Um, but look, again, when I look back on it, it was all very normal. Mm. No, no. Not, not that my no. parents condoned me doing those yeah. things. I'm not yeah. saying that that was yeah. that didn't that wasn't the case. Um, but I was able to have the sneaky mm. drink here and there, and um, so that kind of you know the drinking did start. The drinking really took off. Um, so yeah, I was going to school, going to, getting on, like going on the hop a lot. Um, and I suppose at a very young age, I had a lot of responsibility as well because I had to look after the younger, the younger uh, kids in the family. So there was a lot of responsibility on my shoulders and I didn't want that. I just wanted to escape that. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want that responsibility. So I, I started to rebel. Do you know? I started getting into trouble with the guards. Um, they were taking me home. Yeah, yeah. That's a really around the, the age that uh, I'd be going into drop my yeah. hands off my head like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there were know? different times back then. Yeah, and, and different. you got a few clatters or whatever, like, yeah. and then you'll you'll be off again doing the same thing. Yeah. 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 And I suppose like if at that age when you you are after finding ecstasy or whatever other drug or alcohol or whatever and it's doing for, for something to you like it's taking you away from all the stuff that's going on in your head or the emotions that you're not able to feel it's, it's normal escape. you're going to want to keep chasing yeah, these things escape. you know you're going to con- you're going to need more mm-hmm. because this is something that's really giving you something that you you never had before a little bit of self-esteem or confidence or love and it doesn't you know, matter about the love. consequences either. Like, it doesn't matter if yeah. you're getting arrested or getting yeah. suspended from school. If it takes you away from the madness in your head, yeah. doesn't don't care about consequences, yeah. especially when you're young like that. Yeah. So that kind of um, 
That, yeah, that was kind of the start of it, really. But you finished up after first year, was it? It was around, yeah, I don't even know if I made it. Like that, them years are kind of a blur to me, to be honest, mm. um, in terms of education. I don't even know if I made it to the, to the end of first year, but I, yeah, it was either the end of first year or the beginning of second year, but I know that it didn't go any further than that. Um, I left school, I was able to read and write. Um, people used to always compliment my writing, especially my sister, Maria, who's no longer with us. But, um, so I took pride in my writing. Um, so I was lucky that I was, I did leave school with that. And then, as I said, things just kind of escalated really. I started getting into a lot more trouble with the guards, bringing me home from town. I, I'd walk into Paul Street, myself and another girl that I used to be with at the time. And, um, it was Quinsworth at the time, Tesco's. It was Quinsworth and walking, fill up a trolley full of food and just walk out. And I got away with that loads of times. Fill up a taxi with the food up home. Um, and then I started getting caught for it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then, and then, you know, getting arrested and getting warnings and all of this stuff. And eventually I was brought in front of a judge and sent to Oberstown. So that was kind of the start of it then, like. How, how like, we've often spoke to people about Oberstown. Like, mm-hmm. I, you kind of caught me off guard there now as well, because I didn't know Oberstown was for, 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 for young girls as well. Oh, yeah. It's mixed, yeah. Is it? Well, it is, it's, yeah. it's, there's a, a male and a female yeah. party. I don't know what way it is today, like, yeah. but I mean, um. And, and what age were you then, Julian? Oh, sure, I could have been 15, 16. Yeah, yeah. What was it like in Oberstown? Um, remember my first night up there was like, it was almost, I suppose, like a cell, but a nicer version of a cell. You put in there. Mm. I arrived late because you know the way it is with the courts. Mm. You're like, you could be seen at 10 o'clock in the morning. You could be first up, but you're there all day inside the holding cells until the guards are ready to take you over to the Bible and then remove you or to bring you to Oberstone, in my case. So I arrived there late and, um, yeah, I just remember just, it, they just brought me into a room, locked the door behind me. It was a comfortable room. No, don't get me wrong. Ask me if I wanted food. I didn't want anything. <clears throat> and yeah, you, from what I remember of it, like you had your freedom in terms of you, you could walk around the building. But then there was times you went in lock-up as well. Mm. Um, and there was a big kitchen. I remember a big kitchen and there was plenty of food there to be eaten. Do you know, it was it was like a residential home. Mm. Want for better words, do you know. Um, so it was grand. I actually had no issues up there. I remember getting a phone call from my brother. Um, my brother was down at Spike Island at the time. He was serving a sentence. And um, I suppose just to kind of before I move on to that, I... Like, I've heard you talk about the ambition mm-hmm. to yeah. go to prison. That was my ambition too. And when I heard, like, when yeah. I actually said out loud, it's actually funny. It's actually, I know, it's, I was it's just going to ask you that. Eh? It's actually funny it. when yeah. I say it out loud because everyone that I was surrounded with, they were all going to prison. Mm-hmm. Do you know, that was kind of, that was just, that was, it was like the right, rite of passage. This is, this is what you do. Um, so the day, saying the court, myself and the other girl that I was up with, she's dead now, Lord of Mercy, in her as well. The plan was to get to Limmer Prison. That was the plan. She was the same age as me, but she looked a lot older than me. And he sent me to Oberstown. So that was a bit of a shock to the system. I thought I was going to Limerick with her. Um, because I didn't know the family member up in Limerick at the time. So I was trying to get up there to them. So I ended up down in Oberstown and I got a phone call. I don't know how the phone call came about, to be honest, but I got a phone call uh, with my brother. And I um, remember him saying to me on the phone, don't take no shit no from no one down there or up there. <laughs> and I was grand up until that point on the phone. And when he started talking like that, then he started sobbing on the phone. I, 
you know, no. um, but yeah. I came off the phone for him and he was like, you'll be grand, you know, just don't take no shit from no one. And I came off the phone from him and Fred was walking down the hallway and there was these two dubs sitting down and they weren't even talking about me now, but of course I had to try and prove myself after coming off the phone to him. And um, they were talking amongst themselves and I said, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Throw my weight around. Mm-hmm. Um, they were like, we're not talking about you at all. So, and that was me kind of just affirming mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to... But there was no one saying anything to me at the same time. It's like what Timmy talks about as well back in the days. You know, it's just if you're, uh, if you have an aggressive demeanor, people will leave you alone. And yeah, that's, you, and have, you have to, it's, it's something that you build up. It's, it's like a mechanism that you build up within yourself. Behind all that, there was a shy child. That's exactly Do you know what I was. mean? Like there was a shy mm-hmm. child behind all of that. Full of fear. Um, fearful. Yeah. Full of fear. Full of fear yeah. and not knowing what the hell they were doing. There was no direction in life. I'd know. And, and I suppose when I talk like this, I just want to say as well, I'm not blaming anybody for anything. No. Do you know what I mean? Like no, we were all in it together. Yeah. Like we, I suppose when you know different, you can do different. Mm. But at that point, nobody, we were all on the same road, do you yeah. know? So nobody kind of knew any better. Um, and, and I suppose on that note, there was nobody, I, I, there was nobody that I could look to and think, Jesus, I'd love to do what they're doing in terms of education mm. or working or, or not going to prison. Do you know, th- that wasn't part of my world at that, at that time. So yeah, I, eventually anyway, I, I was remanded there for a few weeks and I was brought in front of the judge again and I was released. I remember my mum was inside the court waiting for me. I was there. I'm dead when she gets me. <laughs> but, um, she got me home and, Grand for a while and then I was gone again. Do you know, I was, I just didn't want to be there. Mm. It was just, I suppose it was just too difficult to be there. Um, and yeah, the guards and the drink and mm. the drugs and the fighting and a vicious circle, really. Mm. Just kind of escalated at yeah. that age and just went mentally. And then prison. Yeah. And I suppose. Then I made it to the big girls prison eventually. Yeah. Do you know? That's what? a different level then. You're going yeah. to see different what age, yeah? stuff. Um, 17, 18, I suppose. 18. Yeah. How long were you up there? What was the sentence? <clears throat> the first one, I think I was after getting caught actually in the committal warrant. Um, I was after being sentenced without my presence in the court. I was on the run, like, mm-hmm. um, no, it wasn't for something stupid now, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> well, I suppose. No, when I'm, you're 18 and you're on the run. Like, a mad you know, thing, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want a mad thing getting pulled out of the And the talk out of an 18 year old, then, like, when you're on the run. Yeah, and, and so you're like, trying to hide you for a man. Yeah, yeah, the bread yeah, or. I was after getting arrested out of, out of, um, out of my mother's house, and, um, I was been drinking the night before, so I was being carted onto Limer Prison, like, with a sick head. Um, and just going in, I remember going in, like, and the uh, fair, even though I knew it was going to be grand, like, I knew I was going to be fine. But when you're going into an environment like that, that you haven't been in before, mm-hmm. it's like, oh God, who am I going to see in here? What's it going to be like? Blah, blah, blah. But sure, once I got in, it was like, it was like home from home. Everybody can, can describe mm-hmm. it. And everybody yeah. can relate with that for starting a new job or you're walking into, you know, your in-laws for the first time. Joining a new soccer team even. Yeah. I you know, the big thing for me in yeah. early recovery was joining the gym and joining the club. I, you know, I put it off a sore land. It's just the fear of the unknown. But when you're going into, you have that, but when there's a prison environment is heightened, you know what I mean? Because mm. it's possible violence, it's possible yeah. all these things. That you and you're going to probably meet people that you fought with. Yeah. Do you yeah. know, like, you're going to come, you're going to meet people like that inside there that you're after having run-ins yeah. with. You probably have to be talking shit about each other. Yeah. And, do you know, so yeah. that was part of it too. I'd say 90% of the people that go to prison spend, if not all of their time on f- f- 
on fight or flight. Mm. Mm. You know, that's kind of constantly full of uh, adrenaline. And a lot of Because something... You don't know who's going to come in. No. You hear that there's someone new actually coming in. Happen. Happen. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a horrible way for the, the, the body to feel because that's actually doing a lot of damage to your nervous system, you know, being in that situation yeah. constantly, you know. Um, but, yeah. you know, if you're living like that on the outside when you're walking the streets because you're probably doing the same thing when you're on the streets anyway you know watching your back for guards or someone you're fighting with or whatever it may be it's just it's really really damages the body in so many different ways mm. you know it's just you're knocked out of homeostasis which is where the balance where you have a balance mm. within the body's nervous system it's yeah. it's ridiculous like yeah. and I suppose just with Limerick like it was like there was only like two landings there do you know what I mean like it was only a small prison women's prison um, it's just the landing. It's just a couple of landings within the main, the male the prison. Main, yeah. So Lima prison is, the, it's a male prison really, but there's, there's a couple of landings for the females. Yeah. Um, so you have the landing here and the one below, and then you have the wreck, um, and then you have your yard. Um, and it was like, I mean, it was grand. I remember being up there, like, and at that, like at the time, you could have a bit of crack as well up there because the lads, from the male prison be able to shout over so you'd be shouting back before to one another or you'd be out the yard sunbathing and an orange come over there at the wall and <laughs> do you know or an, a hard boiled egg or something yeah. so there was a bit of banter as well a bit of crack there and yeah. did you know many people up there? I did the girls yeah was there lots from your own area? Um, there would have been a few like it was a male, like it was mainly cock women up there mm. that's what the, the prison was really full of and a few limerick heads um, and then I suppose a few the dubs would come down from the dock as if they were being punished. Mm. Limerick was seen as the punishment jail, like. Mm. Um, so they'd come down then, but it was mainly Cork. Mm. Um, but yeah, you look, you do what you can to pass the time in yeah. there. Do you know what I mean? You'd have a bit of band in the yard, shouting and roaring over the wall, and um, then you'd be trying to get off to the dentist. It's when I think of it now, like ridiculous yeah. stuff, trying to get off to the dentist because that was off from the male part. And then you get all dolled up walking through the male part and no one could see it because they were all locked up. <laughs> they were all put into your cells yeah. or into the cells. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you that's like, the mentality. When it? you're 18, yeah. 19, yeah. like yeah. Yeah. it was ridiculous, really. And like, do you know, around that stage of your life, was there any, did you have any indication of where you were actually going with your life? <laughs> it was, no. was, you weren't after hitting a stage in your life at that stage where you said, you know what, this isn't working anymore for me. No, that came later. But at yeah. that point, at that particular time, it was like, no, um, I enjoyed the drinking. I enjoyed the drug taking. I enjoyed the party. And yeah. um, even though there was a lot of trouble in between all of that, there was still the laughs. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You still have to laugh. Um, and I, I wasn't at that stage. I wasn't nowhere ready. I didn't, I didn't even know, like addiction was something I'd never heard of at that stage. I didn't know anything about recovery, eh, anything like that. So that wasn't part of my world at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I wasn't. I just thought that that was normal and that was just the way it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So even though that, I didn't give up much thought really, it yeah. was just, I was just kind of going along with it. Yeah. So how, how long did that? That madness going for Gillian and um, how did it all stop? Do you know what that went on? I suppose like that started at a very young age, all mm. that madness. Um, and it came to a halt. My last sentence, I'd say, I'd been in and out and my dad tried to intervene and like, you know, I was living with him and 
I was living in an unofficial halt in sight and, and that, that, that was fine for a while, but then I didn't like that either because I just wanted to be like, <clears throat> I suppose a memory came to me there recently and I was telling James about it. I was about 16 now again at the time, 17. Looking back in it, I can see why I was doing what I was doing. Like there was a lot of hurt there. There was a lot of pain there. A lot of emotional pain. Um, no coping skills. Absolutely no coping skills. I suppose in my family growing up, you didn't cry. You didn't express any type of a feeling. And um, you just got on with it. And if you did cry, you'd probably get a belt for crying. Do you know this kind of thing? Like, um, And uh, like the shit was really hitting the fan, like in terms of life or death situations yeah. at the age of 16. Um, I was down in another family member. He was a relative. Um and he wasn't there. He was in the hospital and myself and another couple of family members were there. And we were taking all his tablets with no kind of, no awareness now of what we were actually taking. Like, um, and we took a lot of them. I, I just passed out. Mm. Uh, we all did really. And only that my dad was looking for me that night. He was around the place in Delari looking for me. I was dead. He met one of the lads that we used to hang around with because we used to be out of the church. That was our kind of spot. Grant. Um, that was our spot. And he met one of the lads that we used to be up there with us. And he told my dad where we could possibly be. Mm. Um, and my dad came down looking for us and he's banging at the door. There was no answer. I was out cold on the floor and he was looking in the window and spotted me on the ground, kicked in the door grabbed me, put me into the lorry. My brother was there as well, my other brother. Um, phoned an ambulance. They were kind of, I was I was unresponsive. I wasn't responding at all. Like. The others were, they were kind of groggy, so he got an ambulance for them, got me down to the hospital, and um, I was pumped out. I couldn't remember days. Mm-hmm. There was days of my life gone I couldn't remember. I was so out of it. My two legs got burnt, I didn't even realise it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for weeks after that then my dad had to take me up to the orthopedic to get my legs dressed um, I was left with nasty scars but they're gone out they're at the fainting um, blisters with that size out my legs from getting burnt and only that he came down that night and only that that a friend of mine had said where we were um, I'd, I'd have been dead mm-hmm. because my body like I was 16 and I, as I said I was a small little frail skinny thing like so I wouldn't have been able for it so it was get, it was getting bad at that stage do you know what I mean um, when I came to a halt then I was I was in for my last sentence I'd say it was maybe I was 20 21 and um, I started seeing things but different I wanted something different so I started going to school and <clears throat> I'd know junior sir no because I was after leaving school early and I uh, started I suppose going to cooking classes and you know kind of engaging in the school in the prison in the prison um, and I started practicing I suppose learning um, studying that's the word I'm looking for studying for my junior cert so I done two I started so, studying English and maths and everything was going grand um, doing my cooking classes and whatever else was going on. But I still go from cell to cell and have the bands, you know, the chats with the girls. And I started doing a lot of training in the prison. Uh, fitness, going to health and fitness in a big way. 
Um, so I was thinking when I get out now, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue that. That's what I'm going to do. And that was my plan. And then the worst news of my life came, do you know, um, I, I didn't the family member in the prison with me at the time. And we got the news that my sister had died. My old sister, who would have been very close to, um, I would have went, I would have traveled to the end of the earth for her. Do you know what I mean? I, I adored her. And, um, I remember being down the laundry and the probation, there was a probation officer and a priest there and an officer came over and I was put my washing into the machine and they called me and gave me the news and it was the worst, it was the worst day of my life, really. Um, I ran up the stairs and went into the other family member that was there and sure, like we were unconsolable, really. Um, it was good that you had somebody with you. Um, it was, but it, it wasn't at the same time. Mm. Um, I was coming to the end of my sentence. I was due to be released not long after dislike. Um, so the person that I was in the cell with wasn't. She was there on um, circuit court warrants. Mm. So she wasn't going anywhere. Do you know what I mean? So we got the news anyway and... She was a lot of it as a blur. Um, I remember Miss Kylie, she was an officer up there. Um, she was sound. I wasn't even smoking at the time. I was off fags for a couple of years and all at that stage. And she handed me 20 fags and got out for the funeral. I was after applying for TR for the couple of days for the funeral. Um, and I remember the priest saying to me, look, Julian, if you come back, we'll have you out sooner than your release date. So I got out for the couple of days for the funeral and I came back. The only reason I came back is because there was another family member in the cell, and that's been honest. Mm. Um, and then soon after that, I was released, and everything just went downhill. Like I was being—I suppose I was released into society with no coping skills. Um, Especially, you know, after the death of a family member, somebody you were very close to as well. Mm. Yeah, really because the thing was, where you see one of us, you see another three or four of us. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There was always three or four of us together. There was never just the one. Um, and like my sister Maria, she was like, I idolized her. She was great crack as well. Um, and I, after that, it just, the family just seemed to break apart. Mm. I don't know what, like it just, instead of bringing us together, um, it just, yeah. And did, uh, do you know when you got out, did, did you pick up the addiction from where you left off? And did oh, it get I did. Worse? It went worse. Got ten times worse. So you were, you're after getting out of prison. You've all the issues that you went in there with, but now you're after losing your sister and the trauma of all that. The addiction got worse. How did it come to a head? So um, while I was in prison, I um, I linked in with an organisation called the Cork Alliance. Now when I linked in with them. My thing, you know the way it is inside in the prison, going to them or going to this person, going to that person, they get you out sooner. That was my train of thought. So when I met with the Cork Lines first, that was my train of thought. Go in here and I'll spill them a load of bullshit and they'll get me out sooner. Um, and I met with them in the prison and they were nice and all of this stuff. So when I got out, after my sister died, out into the big bad world with no coping skills, um, I went downhill very quickly. The minute I got out the gate, straight into the off licence. 
that was my first stop on the bus down to Cork. And it was just drink, drugs. Um, I remember the funeral. Um, even at the funeral, like it was just, I was in a daze. I was just fueled with drink and drugs and not causing no bother to anybody, but just numb, trying to numb. So I came back out then and this is what I was going back into. Um, my relationship at home wasn't great. So, it, you know, it wasn't even that alone. The environment wasn't healthy. Um, so I just, yeah, I went, I went straight into that and became very suicidal and then picked up the phone around the Cork Alliance. So to be honest, I only rang them really because I was after getting out. I'd like, they would have to give me like, uh, maybe three or four weeks TR. It was something like that. And I was after missing a sign on day up in the prison. So I contacted them and said, look, I'm after getting out. I'm after missing the sign in day. Will you contact the prison? Blah, 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 which they did. And then I went in and I met with them. Um, and I suppose my relationship with them, like I had the, rela- like the, the relationship grew mm-hmm. and they were instrumental in my recovery. Um, I suppose they were the only, and I don't mean this with any disrespect to anybody else, but they were the only good thing in my life at that stage. Um, that could give me some bit of guidance that showed me some bit of love. Um, because you must remember we were all very hurt mm. with my family now as well at this stage. And there was like, none of us knew how to deal with anything, to be mm. honest. So that went on. Jesus, that, I suppose that, um, that way of life went on for 12 months. I'd say just constant, um, drinking, drugging, fighting, arguing, and it was just, it was just a cycle. It just went on and on. And the suicide attempts came in. And I remember the day of the, um, of the inquest, because I suppose how my sister died as well. That really, that really affected me. Like mm. she was found outside pennies. Do you know what I mean? And true addiction, true addiction. She died from drinking drugs. And that, even when I say it right now, like that still catches me, do you know, um, for somebody to go like that yeah. and to leave seven children behind her. You know, she was only 32 at the time. Mm. Um, so that whole piece, even in itself, I felt a lot of guilt around that. If I was there, maybe it could have been different. And, you know, and I, I would imagine we all carried something like that in the family. You know, we all carried some bit of guilt around that. If we were there, it could have been different. She had very bad asthma as well. So, you know, she, all of those health problems played into her death. Um, I suppose I just wanted to say something there. You mentioned something about um, her death, about all of you thinking what could you've done or whatever. Like, that happens to every every family, you know. And with me being an addict, James, you probably relate to me. There's nothing you can do for an addict. Gillian, no, and I know that. I on, today, yeah. today I know, you know that. I mean? But back then, like, yeah. I remember walking through town and I convinced myself Marie wasn't dead long now. I was actually going off to the Cork Line Centre. Like, my, even my whole appearance, everything changed mm. at that stage. Like, everything, I completely, like, I just didn't care anymore. Yeah. That was the frame of mind. I just did not care anymore. I didn't want to be part of this world anymore. Yeah. There was nothing, as far as I was concerned, there was nothing in it for me. And I was walking off to the Cork Lines through Patrick Street. And there was this woman going into the chemist. And I, it was like, I was looking at Maria. I convinced myself mm. it was Maria. And my heart started racing. I never forget it. My heart started racing. I was kind of looking, is that her? Is that her? And I ran over, um, 
and followed the woman into the chemist and I actually went up and I looked into the woman's face. I was convinced it was her. Now, obviously it wasn't, but it was like, I was going through all those stages mm. as well, you know, um, with drink and drugs and everything else that was going on in my life at that time as well on top mm. of it. So I started seeing um, a counsellor um, through the Cork Lines. Her name was Cora and uh, an amazing woman, like an amazing woman. And it was around, as far as I was concerned, it was around, it was bereavement counselling, you know, um, around the death of my sister. Because you must remember, I actually genuinely saw nothing wrong with what was going on in my life. It was normal. It was very normal. Yeah. There was not, there was nothing different. Do you know what I mean? Um, apart from my sister was dead. And I started seeing her and, um, every week I was going in there. It was like, I was kind of, yes, I might spend, a small bit of time talking about Maria, but then it was like, I boxed it off, pushed it away. Um, didn't want to feel anything, I suppose. And was talking constantly about who said this and who said that. And she done that. And I done this. And he said this, it was all, you know, just kind of carry on. This was every week. Um, it was. (laughs) I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I spent the first probably six or seven months in therapy inside the prison. With a psychiatrist, psychologist, the exact same way. Up there every week, giving out about everyone around me. And it was all, it was their fault. It was every, and the anger. Yeah. Anger. It was everybody, like every time I went in there, it was everybody else's fault. Whatever happened at the weekend, it was always their fault. Do you know, that was the way it was. And then I started, I was going, continuing my um, counselling. And then one day I just went in there. Um, and it was just like the words that came out of my mouth was my life is unmanageable my life is completely unmanageable and at that point I was worn out from it I was now because um, as I said like the, the suicide attempts came in the day of my sister's inquest I made a point not to go into the court that day um, with no drink or drugs in me so I could hear what was going on I still to this day couldn't tell you what was after being said and signed there was like I went blank it's like it was like I was never in there but I do remember sitting on the ledge of the bridge, looking to throw myself in there, mm. um, with drink knowing me again, like, and this woman, this girl, I don't know who she was to this day, came along and she was like, are you okay? And she was like, don't come down off that. Um, and then the guards came and there was, I don't know, was there three or four guards there? Um, one guard wasn't very nice. He was basically telling me to do it. And the others were telling me to come down and mm. look, you know, we'll bring you home and, no, thank God I didn't do it. Um, maybe that was just a cry for help. I actually didn't know what was going on at that stage in my at, life. At that stage, was was you were coming to the end, an end, obviously. Yeah. You know, um, I I just kind of go back to something I said there a while ago. I said like, there's absolutely nothing to do for an addict until they're ready, mm-hmm. until they know they're ready. Because, like in your situation, yeah. you're ready. Your comment, the pain is so unbearable yeah. in your you life. You have to be ready. I suppose you have to come yeah. to a place in your own life where you just think enough is enough. Yeah. And that, and I suppose, fast forward, that's eventually what happened. I was sitting down with this counsellor, Cora, who had previously worked in Table Lodge. Yeah. Um, and she was one of the first people, and I have to say this as well, just to acknowledge it. She, but I was in there one time after, you know, doing a session and I was crying over my sister or whatever. And at the end of the session, she put her arms around me. And I yeah. just froze. I wasn't used to people hugging me or showing me any kind of affection like that. I literally just froze. 
And she was hugging me. She was like, you'll be grand and you mind yourself now for the next few days and I'll see you again and blah, blah, blah. And that, all of those small things, some might see it as inappropriate, mm-hmm. do you know, but it meant so much. Mm-hmm. At the time I was frozen, like, but afterwards it felt like someone actually cared. Mm-hmm. So I, I, when I said that to her anyway, about feeling my life was unmanageable, she said, I think you're ready. I think you're ready for a treatment center. And that was when I picked up the phone and rang Table Lodge. Um, and I got an, an appointment for an assessment. I went down there, done the assessment. Again, a staff member from Cork Lines came down with me. Um, I really needed that support, you know, along the way. I didn't have any family around me. I, like we were all, I had nobody literally around me at this point. Went down, done the assessment, and I remember at the time, 50 Cent was after coming, he was coming to Cork, and I was after getting a ticket for him. And um, I was after being given the date, but it was it was clashing with my concert for 50 Cent. <laughs> so that wasn't going down too well at all with me, like. So I was saying, look, if I, I have 50 Cent, the concert is coming up. If I if I come in now, well, the date that they were giving me, will he let me out then for the night for 50 Cent? I'll come back after the concert is over. And they were looking at me, stupid, filled the woman that was there at the time. Mm-hmm. She was like, you can't do that. We can't. I was like, but you can test me. You can test my earrings. And they were like, no, you can't do that. I was like, look, well, we'll put the bed on hold so on until 50 Cent is over and I'll come back. That was on a Friday. That assessment took place. On the Monday, I was on the phone begging them for my bed. And I remember Phil saying to me, she's long gone out at this stage, but I remember Phil saying to me, but what about this 50 Cent fella? Do you know, I was like, I actually don't care about him, I need the bed. So I got in there and while I was there, the concert was on and all of this stuff. And um, and I'm so glad that I made, that I had, first of all, that I had that experience over the weekend because it was an off weekend I was after having. That again brought me to the place where I was, you're right, you're going to do something here, you're going to die. This is the reality of it. Like, And do you know what? It's a good point because we get a lot of people contacting us. Yeah. They want help. So we, like, we're not therapists. Mm-hmm. We can only tell them what we did and see if that works for them. But sometimes people want the recovery. We don't, and we say, look, I'm, my life is unmanageable. Mm-hmm. I'm full of addiction. My yeah. wife has thrown me out. My kids, blah, blah, blah. I need help. And we say, do you know Try residential treatment. Mm-hmm. Oh, I tried it before. It's not for me. You have to. If you want recovery, you'll make the sacrifices mm-hmm. and you'll just fucking do you, it. You'll go get rid of the excuses. Yeah. You, if you have to get rid of the excuses, whether it be 50 cent, that's just another example. Mm. You know, you have to get rid of the excuses. Yeah. Recovery has to be the number mm-hmm. one thing. Yeah. Cause without recovery, Absolutely. nothing else yeah. is possible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember thing. when the day came for that, for me to go into Table Lodge, like it was, I was literally skipping down the road yeah. because I just see it at that point. It was like, this is my way out. Mm. This is my chance. This is my way out. Um, I could see that there was, there was some bit of hope there. Yeah. Um, and but I remember going in there and like full yeah. affair. But you were at the end, you were at the end, like it, the reason I know you were at the end, like towards the end of James's addiction, yours, mine, it was all about suicide. Oh, it is. That's it what was all about. Ends up. And listen, we were, we, we, James, we don't say this to scare anybody, oh. any, any family member to have a family member in, in it, in, addiction that are completely destroyed and they don't know what to do we don't say this to frighten them that that's coming down the line or anything like that we're only speaking about our own experiences mm. which are quite similar and mine was the same I remember walking out of court and wanting to just walk over and jump into the river mm. do you know every time I used at that stage I didn't want to wake up and I was taking large quantities of drugs so yeah. and passing out and you know 
that's how it was, you know, and, and yeah. unfortunately, I went down your route as well. Yeah. I went to the doctor. I asked the doctor for, uh, I told him I was, I, I wasn't well and he put me on meds and he also got me to see his, a doc, a counselor. And from there on, I managed to get myself into table lodge as well. I hadn't the foggiest clue what was going on. I thought I was going in there and I was going to be coming out and I could go home and I could go out on the weekend, my wife mm-hmm. and go home and have a drink. Normal. Yeah. Things changed in there. My life just changed. Yeah. I had no awareness still. I hadn't a clue what they were talking about because intellectually I, I wasn't able to understand a lot of the stuff they were but talking about. But even when you're about. down there and like they're talking, like I remember being down, and I don't mean to call you down to me, but I remember being down yeah. there and it was like, it was like a nursery. <laughs> that's the only way I could describe it because we were like a lot of children running around the place. Mm. But that's, you know what I mean? That's, that's, do you know what? That makes a lot of sense. It was actually like a nursery, a yeah. preschool. We were all running around the place. We didn't clue what was going on around yeah. us and we were all half mad. Yeah. From makes Jesus sense. Shit. We were Ma- meant to like. It makes a lot of sense because uh, what this is, is what I've heard and read is when people do stop drinking, they go back to the, the, the age that they, mm. the they started, up. you yeah. know? And um, so it makes a lot of sense yeah. when you think like that because the, the mind is yeah. gone as well. The mind and, is racing at that time. People, you know? people that are on the cycle of addiction in prison, they don't mature mentally at all. Mm-hmm. Like I was a teenager from the age of, 15 to 28 mm. it was only when I was 28 when I come out of treatment to start doing a bit of personal development but then I kind of mm. grew up yeah. do you know I matured I've, I'm the exact same I think I might have even broke 7 or 8 <laughs> because it was that young that yeah. stuff you know I just I always felt like it was the child in a conversation yeah. like I could be talking to, even when I was in prison I would walk around the yard and I was talking to the lads and I I was, I felt so deferior, you know, yeah. if that's the right word. Deferior, yeah. Deferior, yeah. yeah. You know, it was, it was like, I didn't even know what to say. I didn't even know how I could it even put a sentence together. It was like, yeah. Uh, constantly. Yeah, I can relate yeah. to that. Um, and I, I struggled with a lot of that as well, especially early recovery. Um, that would have, you know, I would have battled with a lot of that kind of stuff. But I suppose just to kind of, uh, fast forward a bit, um. You come out, you went, did you aftercare? Um, I went into Table Lodge. I, I was also treated at that point as well for an eating disorder. So I was in there for like the five weeks or something. Um, and then I came out and, um. Can you touch off that a small bit there? The, the eating disorder, if you'd like that. The eating disorder. I suppose that was always, oh, um, that was, I'm just mindful of the time now as well. No, you're fine. Am I okay with the time? Yeah. Um, the disorder, I suppose that would have always been there on some level, body dysmorphia as well. Um, I suppose when I was very young, I, I would have, I was very thin, like there was no saying I wasn't. And I used to be looking at other people and I used to be thinking, oh, I need to put on weight, even though I couldn't put on weight. So then I'd start wearing pants underneath my jeans to make me look like I had more weight on my legs. And it was just all of that kind of stuff. And I know there's probably a lot of females out there can relate to that yeah. on some level. Um, but with the eating disorder then, I would binge, I could, I would restrict, I would binge, um, compulsively overeat, purge. Yeah. That was all going on. Um. Bulimia. Yeah. Yes, bulimia. It was bulimia. And, <clears throat> and I know you had somebody on recently as well, Lorna, who spoke very well. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed her podcast. I, I could relate to a lot of things. Mm. Situations different, but, um, is the disease really? And, uh, and I was that person that thought the doctor was jealous of me because the doctor was telling me I was, you're, you're, you're on the weight, you're seriously on the weight. Mm. Um, but I had it in my head. I just kept going, kept exercising, kept restriction. 
Um, and in the meantime, in the middle of UCC with all of this as well going on. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like there was lo- like that, that, that part of it was really difficult. That part of my disease, the eating mm-hmm. disorder was really difficult. Is so, that something that followed you in early recovery when you got out? Yes, it did. It did follow me in early recovery. Um, I was consumed myself. I was consumed yeah. with how I looked and how I thought people saw me. And um, and today, none of that matters, what people think, really. Mm. Um, it's just a feeling of inferiority, yes. like what Timmy spoke yeah. about. Yeah. 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 I that, did feel that. that low self-esteem that is ingrained in nearly everybody that's in addiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that, like everybody, like the, the behaviours that we, the things we did, the drugs we take, the people we become, we become very ashamed of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And we feel worthless because, you know, we're stigmatized as well because mm-hmm. we are, or scumbags, junkies, you know, these are the labels that we hear and we internalize all this and we feel like shit and we internalize. And it takes a lot of work to break out of that yeah. and to just blossom in recovery. It takes a lot of work, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It does. And I tell you now, and I will honestly say a hand in my heart, it was, recovery has been the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I, like, when I came out of Table Lodge, I went into renewal. Um, there was a very short space between renew or between Table Lodge and renewal, which I'm blessed. I'm so blessed that I had those options available to me. Um, I went into renewal and then I went down to sober house for a couple of months. So I had, that was the first time I suppose I really experienced some kind of a structure in my home, in a home, let's say. For people that don't know, Table Lodge is a 28 day residential treatment. Longer if you, it's, t- if, if, if you're being treated for an eating disorder, it's like five weeks or something. Then mm-hmm. renewal is like an, an aftercare, but it's a step down secondary residential for treatment. Three months. And then sober house is independent living in a house share that's still attached to the treatment yeah. process. Were they the staff from So you renewal. did the whole hog? I did the whole hog. Um, and, and as I said, I'm blessed that that was available to me. Were you going to meetings and stuff as well? Oh yeah. Meetings were part of my everyday mm-hmm. life. It's a good system. It was like, I suppose when I was in renewal and when I was in sober house, we, we, we had to go to farm forest and do a course over there. Um, and I'm still very good friends with one. She's actually one of my best friends. One of the girls that I was actually up in renewal with, um, D, uh, so Heidi, if you're watching. <laughs> um, and we were all up in, uh, farm forest together. When I think back of it now again, like, do you know, the mentality, like, and communications, and she often bring it up to this day. We were in doing communications, and we, and we had to, I had to read something out loud or write something, and I got a panic attack because I had no, mm. no confidence. I was, as far as I was concerned, I was thick. Yeah. And I had to read something or write something, um, and I got such a panic attack, I ran out the door. And that you was know, your, for, your of, first step into education. Yeah, getting a bit of, well, no, my first, yeah, it was, and it wasn't. I suppose that was the first time really with the proper structure around education. Why well, did your junior sort through Limerick? But I done my junior sort, and I hope Maria watched, don't mind me saying this she, part. Well, she does watch the podcast. <laughs> so yeah. hi Maria, if you're watching. <laughs> but when I was after trade, I suppose I was studying for my junior sort in, um, Maria Walsh was another part, person that was part of um, my recovery early days. When I was doing, um, studying for my junior cert, of course, when I got out, sure my sister was dead and all of that went out the window. I didn't want to know nothing about a junior cert. And I remember I was after linking in with Maria Walsh as well. And she was very good to me now as well, to be fair, you know, um, she was trying to get me into little courses, little hairdressing courses and all of this kind of stuff. And she'd take me for lunch and stuff. And, um, I remember the, the, the junior cert was on that morning down in Rockies, you know, Rockies. Yeah. And she was after ringing me. I was inside in bed, like, but I said, hey, that's been out tonight before. And she was like, you know, the junior service. I was like, I'm not going. 
She's like, you are going. I was like, I'm not going. I'm sick. I'm not going. Up to the house, she came in the car and brought me down. And I went, a sick head, a load of 15, 16-year-olds in there. And I sat in between them and done my two um, subjects. Yeah. Maria Walsh works for IASIO. She's like employment and training for probation service. Yeah. And Father Rocks is outreach in city centre. Yeah. Just for the people that don't Just know. Just for the people that don't know. And uh, yeah, so I suppose very early, more so re- like, I suppose, addiction slash recovery, Maria Walsh would have been around that as well. And I still talk to Maria Walsh today. She's, she's a great person. Yeah. Um, which uh, I suppose... I then, where was I there? I'm sorry. You, you, you were doing the course in Farm Forest. <clears throat> doing the course in Farm Forest. So that was the first time that I had proper structure in, in my day, really, in terms of education as well. Um, and then we'd go back to renewal and we'd ha- I'd have to go then in the evenings and go to meetings. And uh, even that, when I think of that, like going into the meetings with the high boots and me click, clack, click, clack. Do you know what I mean? Thinking I was... I don't yeah. know what I thought I was really. A whole group of us going and giggling over in the corner. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But you see, listen, this is important as well. In early recovery, right, there's two <coughs> things happen. Somebody gives up the substance or the alcohol or whatever it may be. That's one thing that's very important. And they go to meetings to be kept away from that so they can relate and associate with other people yeah. in the room. Yeah. But there's a vital aspect of that as well, which is the behaviours. Mm. You have to also change the behaviours. You have to address the behaviours, absolutely. You know, and no, that's only a small thing. Like, but, Oh, that's only a small thing, but like, but, like, but we'd all be going in yeah. there as a group. Yeah. And like, it could be a meditation, for instance, now mm. over in the Sacred Heart, that's a meditation mm. meeting. The meditation would start, we're in and out of the toilet, <laughs> with the boots on us, so you would like, you know, the, the floors, like, you're, you would hear everything, so you're yeah. click, clack, click, clack, in and out, then we're giggling over in the corner, mm. like, we were actually like a load of children. Yeah. Um, so, but again, it was, it was, Jesus, these were very early days, like, yeah. and that worked for a period of time, going to the meetings and going for the coffees and all of this stuff. And then I, then I started hitting the wall again. Do you know, I was, I was doing, I suppose, and just to, to say, I was still doing one-to-one counselling and, you know, I was doing everything that I possibly could to help me to get better. But I was insane. My mind was gone, like. And then I, I suppose I came to another stage in my life where the meetings weren't enough anymore. I was going to, I, and the counselling, certain, the counselling certainly wasn't enough anymore for me. I was also doing personal development courses with Shep. Um, Social health. Yeah. Education. Yeah. So this is, I suppose that's like another form of a meeting almost, but yeah. it's facilitated. You're doing a lot of personal development. Like. I've done a lot of personal development from the day I came into recovery through the years. I've done a lot of personal development. Um and as I said, like I was going into meetings and I, I, it came a point where I just didn't feel like I was getting better anymore. I needed something else. And that's where the program came in. The A 12 step program. Um, got myself a sponsor and, um, sat down and done the program with him. And it was life changing. It really was because even up until that point, I was consumed with myself. It was all about me, me, me. Um, yes, I was turning up to college. Yes, I was trying to do all these things to better my life. I was doing my degree. Um, and I just didn't start off with that. Like I had to do other little things, which were huge at the time for me, to build me up to that place to get to UCC. I mean, me going to UCC, none of my family went to UCC. I don't think any of my family have a junior cert. I'm with my siblings now. Do you know what I mean? Um so that was like UCC was just like massive. that was nowhere near where I was coming from. 
So I started off without with smaller courses, then went to the College of Commerce and done um, a applied psychology and social studies, and then went to, and progressed into UCC where I done my degree in Newton Community. Um, but in the middle of all of that, I, there was I felt like there was something missing. I was missing something, um, and it came. I suppose I heard a man at a meeting one night talking. The man knew must have been seventy six or something at the time. And I was having fierce difficulties with relationships of how I was in relationships. And he, he quoted something from the 12 and 12. Um, the primary fact we fail to recognize is our complete inability to form a true partnership with another human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like lightning hit me. So I approached him afterwards and we had a chat about it and he became my sponsor and he's still my sponsor to this day, Paddy. And, um, shout out to Paddy. Yeah. Shout out to Paddy. Don't, don't know if he watches the podcast, but anyway, mm. um, he's, um, he took me through the steps and I can't actually describe what went on or what happened, but something changed. And I remember going through the program and we were coming, I think it was the fourth or the fifth step, but it was talking anyway. Like he was reading the book to me and, um, it was around being selfish and self-centeredness and all of this and, I was identifying with it so much that I got vicious, angry, and I caught the book. No, man, I was like, was in the seventies. I caught the book and I slammed the book down on top of the table and I said, "This is a lot of fucking bullshit." Because I was, I was identifying with it. I didn't like what I was feeling, um, and I got up and he was just kind of like, "This is, this is all I know how to do. This is all I know how to work." Which I don't know what else to do. Would you like? And I stormed out and I got to the door and I just turned around and I walked back in and I sat down and I said, look, I'm sorry. I knew if I walked out that door, That's it. I was in trouble. When he was reading that piece to me, it was hitting a nerve. And that was the turning point for me. That, that, that story that I've just said was a turning point in my recovery because I continued with the program. I continued with my meetings I continued doing everything that I was doing. I got myself through college um, and I came out the better for it. Mm. Do you know, all of that stuff. But, and I, I, I always say to this day, there, look, my, my own sponsor always says there's many ways to go out of recovery, whatever way suits you. Do you mm. know what I mean? But I know for me, without the 12 steps in my life, without sitting down and doing that program with somebody that had that spiritual experience, I don't think I'd be where I am today. Mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, like, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I was single for a long time in recovery as well, for years in recovery. Um, I didn't, because I, I couldn't be in, I just couldn't be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. I had to build that relationship with myself and the program was a big part of that. And for a lot of people, yeah. it can be counselling, it yeah. can be meditation. That's what I'm saying, it yeah. can be like, that's it, it can be anything. But, but you for have me, to try everything. But for me. Try them all. Yeah. Do you know what the massive part of that is? Trust. You know, oh, yeah. trust another human yeah. being, yeah. you know, when you've experienced circumstances like you have and I have and James, has, like trust is a very, very hard thing to give to another human being. And I, in my own story, it's when I started to give that trust to other people and just trust them that they will they'll never harm me or do anything wrong to me. That's when I started to open up a little yeah. bit more. And that's when my life also changed, like the relationship I have my my wife today. Yeah. You know, trust. Well, you have to have that. You have to be able I to feel trust. It feels, if it, I, I don't want the song to be soft now or, or, or whatever, but I'll, I'll say what I have to say. It's, it's like, 
it was the best feeling I've ever experienced in my life to be able to trust another human being with your own life, not just your own life, that they always have the right intentions for you and they always have your back, mm. that you don't have to have your own back all the time anymore. You can speak to this person and tell them whatever's going on yeah. to you mm. and they have your back. They're not going to judge you. They're going to love you the same way. Yeah. You know, I think in, in the environments where in when we were in addiction and prison mm. and that, it's very hard to trust anybody. And like you said a while ago, you're always heightened that mm-hmm. what's, what's the next thing going to happen, do you know? But when I was in St. Francis Farm, I remember I was in the, the residential side of it for about seven weeks. Didn't open my mouth on the group. I used to sit there, the best boy, you know, <laughs> they go around, you know, because every week or every group, somebody's getting grilled. And I always kind of kept the head down. Right? Yeah, and eventually he came to me and says, and how are you today, James? I'm glad by, you know, yourself, you know, thinking that he move on now to the next. He says, sure, you, you could actually go away there, so today, you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with you, you're cured, you're cured. I knew, like, if I was gone that day, yeah. I was using that day. Mm-hmm. And it's just to know what it's about. It's about leaving yourself vulnerable, yeah. opening up, mm-hmm. and not always having it in your head that if you leave yourself, if you open up or if you leave yourself vulnerable, it's going to be used against you. Yeah. Because you know, in the real world, it won't be. And there are good people out there, but in our context, social context back then, we were just surrounded by negativity. Mm-hmm. But in the world really isn't like that. And you know, the world can be a good place and there are good people out there, but it takes a lot to work through that, you know. Yeah. It's when you, in your own personal journey, become the person that is the person you want to be around, like the happy, the the full of life's energy person. When you become that person, life will become a place where it's just good instead of, and and not negative like the way it was before. And your whole perception of of how everything is around you changes. And once you get that negative, once that negative mindset is shifted, All of a sudden, positive things yeah. start happening for you. Start meeting good people, getting jobs yeah. and courses, and things start going really well because mm-hmm. you start attracting that positivity. Mm-hmm. Can I just, um, you touched on something there. You went to UCC, you went to the College of Commerce, you went to UCC. For anybody that's in prison, because possibly they're watching this in the Dorcas or in the American people will be able to identify with you, or maybe there's traveller girls watching it, mm. like 1% of travellers have third level education, that's a tiny number of people compared to settled. Um, what was it like for you in university? Um, what kind of challenges did you come up against? Did you have lower confidence going in there? Did, did, did you, did it grow as you went? You know, what, what was that process like? I suppose for me, which just even before university, really, um, <clears throat> even going to the college of calm, like it was, I struggled the whole way through it with my confidence. Like, Sheila and the Corklines, who you both mm. know. She was our first guest on the podcast. She's an amazing woman, mm. and I love that woman. I do. She was instrumental in, like, Trevor, not. She yeah. held Trevor my hand like, yeah. through everything. She was there for everything. It didn't matter whether it was a Saturday or a Sunday morning, uh, whatever was going on. And if I needed um, a friend, she was there. And I suppose going into, going to college, I I just didn't believe in myself. Like I really didn't. And I needed a lot of, I needed a lot of support, a lot of emotional support, really. Um, and and she was one of the people that was there. Um, I remember going up to UCC and thinking, Looking around me thinking, I don't belong here at all. I remember my first day in UCC, I ran out of the classroom 
And I rang Sheila and I was like, I can't stay here. I can't. I have to go. And she was, she was like, breathe, breathe. Just, just stay for half an hour and then see how you are. And that's the way it was throughout. The lecturers in UCC and in the co- like teachers in college of commerce were great. But, um, the lecturers in UCC, they were fantastic, really. I got so, like, they really made me feel part of university. And, uh, like, I was up there with a friend of mine, Catherine, Catherine Toomey, um, and she made my experience so much easier because of the laughs that we had together. Churchfield woman as well. She's up the road from me. Yeah. Um, like, she's, I tell you now, she's salt of the earth, a great Mm -hmm. time for her. Um, and the laughs that we had, we were like two children in the classroom, mm-hmm. but got the work done when the work needed to be done. Do you know what I mean? Applied mm-hmm. ourselves, but she did get me through that because look, there was a lot going on as well. That's not for the podcast mm-hmm. that I'm not going to discuss here. Do you know what I mean? There was of a course, lot yeah. of other stuff going on um, that I don't even know how I got through UCC, to be totally mm-hmm. honest. And people that know me know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so I, I really struggled with it. I really felt like I wasn't good enough, like I didn't belong there. And even after UCC, I felt like that. Do you know, um, graduating from UCC, it was Sheila that was by my side and my niece Aoife. Um, and on the morning of my graduation, I was crying because it was just, it was just, it was just so much like, you know, it was, I was overwhelmed and, the, the, and there was other stuff going on too. Um, and I never felt worthy. I never felt like I, that I was worthy enough to be in UCC, that I was worthy enough to get my degree. I put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into that degree. I can tell you that now. Uh, it did not come easy. When I look at James, because as everybody knows, he's my husband. When I looked at how he sailed through, and I don't mean that now, like you had your challenges too. I don't mean that. Yeah. But like you were more, I suppose you were more confident in your own abilities. Whereas that wasn't for me. Mm. Um, every step of the way was a nightmare really at times for me, you know, mm. and I'm not saying that being dramatic at all. Um, but I'm it. so glad that I, I, mm. I continued to push through because there was times I was like, I, I have to get, I'm not able for this at all. Like, mm. who do I think I am? Do you know what I mean? Who do you think you are? Like, know, we all had that imposter you know, syndrome. It was don't like, yeah. but I remember I was after applying for the social care, um, out in CIT and the Uton community and I got offered both of them. And I was after meeting with, uh, I was like, what, right, what's the difference here now the two of these? So I was at the ring in uh, UCC and I ended up meeting with Michal. Michal oh, O'Hare Don. Lovely man again. Um, like I've met some lovely people along the way. And I sat down with him and we had a conversation. And I suppose in a way, when I think about it, he was pitching UCC to me almost. Um, and I went with UCC in the end and I'm so grateful today. Like the opportunities. And I suppose that's what, that's what I wanted. That's what I really want to get out there today. The opportunities that I have today because of all the groundwork that I've done. I had to remove myself from everything that I knew when I came into recovery. Family, so-called friends, acquaintances, everyone. I was literally on my own. I remember being my first year in recovery, Christmas time. I was in my, I was in sober house on my own. No family around me, no nothing. Um, and I grounded it out. They, they were the sacrifices I made to get to where I am today. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've done since you've graduated from UCC? Yeah, so graduated from UCC. Uh, my first job was working as a traveller health worker in West Cork. Um, and then I started um, working with children in care, residential. In residential. 
And then came the dream job, the Cork Alliance. So from going from being a service user to being a staff member, like it was amazing. Um, and the experience I got there really kind of built me as a professional because I was landed into the prisons. Um, I was in there assessing people, as you know, and I won't go too much into it now because I know time is running out, but, um, going back into those environments, um, where, like I was going to call prison, I'd be visiting people, family, whatever, as a child, and then going into the new prison as a member of the Cork Alliance, a staff member. It was a fantastic experience, I have to say, from the point of view of how I was received by the staff up there, the officers, um, even the people serving their sentences. But I remember the day when I, when I got that job, like this had never been done before. Like this was all new in Cork Prison, so this showed how, like, how they were moving forward with their thinking that they were going to have somebody in there with convictions. Um, so Peter O'Brien, the assistant governor, came down my first day on the job down to the Cork Alliance to meet me and um, congratulate me on getting the position and was very encouraging and very supportive and really, really made me feel like that. If there was, if I was experiencing any challenges within the prison, that I could go and speak to him. No, thank God I didn't. Everything was fine. Um, so that, I suppose there kind of, that was kind of a huge thing. And the other huge thing for me was going into Limerick prison. That was even bigger because I was going back into a prison that I had one service sentencing. Um, and I was on the landing where I was told my sister was dead. Mm-hmm. They said it was very triggering. It was very triggering. Mm-hmm. I came out of there, even in there, my body was reacting. Um, and when I came out of there, you know, I was, I was a bit shaken from it. Just because I was getting the, the flashbacks and, and I was looking at the wreck and it was, it, it was my home once upon a time. So I've been very blessed with, you know, with the opportunities that I've had. Um, what other prisons were you in? As oh, I was in the Midlands prison and I was in Portage prison. Mm. And I have to say again, across the board, I've had very positive experiences working. Um, I wasn't in the Midlands prison or Portage as a prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> I was a staff member. Um, but great working relationships up there, like sitting down, I suppose, the, the moment for me really where I was like, oh my God, like, is this actually happening? Where I'm sitting down with senior um, management in the prison, governors and like, and then senior IPS representatives, do you know what I mean? And discussing people's cases and, and being fe- like feeling like, oh my, they're actually trusting me here, mm-hmm. you know? And even in Cork, like when I was in Cork prison, when I was working there, there was not a family member down there, like, and it didn't matter. They didn't, that was never kind of used against me or anything like that. So it was a very positive experience yeah. overall. Um, I'm gone helped. from there now. Go on, sorry. It helped with your self-esteem and confidence as well. It did. It really built me, um, I have to say, on a professional level because I was, like, I was, I was in the deep end, like, and it was sink or swim. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's um, probably a very tough environment um, for confidentiality, boundaries and all these things, you know, mm-hmm. so it really, um, helped you grow professionally. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, absolutely, it did. Um, so that was a great time that How I was there. there. I was there for like three years and then I moved into, I'm working with an education now, you know, in new reach, um, with young people, I suppose that's no longer engaged in mainstream education. Um, and I enjoy that, you know, just, you can have to laugh, like, and, well, getting the work done, of course. Yeah. yeah. I heard you married a hunk then. 
That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got married in between all that. Yeah. So life turned out well, yeah. Life turned out pretty well. Of, it took a lot of work, but there's nothing to say that a girl, a, a woman, or a boy mm-hmm. watching that was in a similar situation, yourself or me or Timmy. They can do it too, with the help of the likes it. of the Cox Alliance, the likes of Sheila and Maria Walsh, counsellors, a and yeah. SHEP, do all these courses, the meditation, mm-hmm. the education, yeah. do it, go out and experience life, use the supports that's available, and, and when you use the supports and put your left foot, the next foot right, do the next right thing as they say in recovery, if you're not, if you think that the task is almighty and you'll never get there, do what you can do today mm-hmm. and we do it as I say day and that's all you can do is keep it in today yeah. you literally have to keep it in today like I remember when I and like I'll wrap up there now but I remember when I came into recovery first I, I used to hear people share and they were like two years clean that day and I'd be like oh I wish I was like them now no. or do you know people that were celebrating 10 years I'd be like oh my god I wish I was like them and I got there one day at a time yeah. do you know what you celebrate today the closer you get the feeling Love for yourself. Yeah. That's my celebration is, is, is the closer I get to feeling good who about who I am as a person, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the closer, the, the more love I have for myself and my kids yeah. and my wife. That's, that's my recovery today. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not mm-hmm. about the, the actual timeline, but the timeline is kind of, it's a separation from the actual experiences and stuff like that. Cause time is a great, healer and we all know that but like recovery for me today is all about how I feel about Timmy you know Mm. I've gone go through some really difficult situations in my personal life and then it'd be really 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 tough you know but let me tell you this them tough situations make you a really really strong person Mm. you're you're resilient yeah Yeah. I remember I was about a year in recovery and uh didn't really know what I was doing with myself, to be honest. And then I started going out with Gillian. And, uh, and look at the man he is today from it. But you know, I ended up <laughs> I doing, take I, I ended up doing the, I done the 12 steps with her encouragement because I disregarded that, you know. Um, really helped me maintain the recovery. I did the courses she did. She, I didn't, education at college was not on my radar to me, you know, yourself. Yeah. Like, we didn't think about that at all. No. It was not until I started going out with Gillian. Mm-hmm. And I could identify with her story, and she had been through UCC. That then all of a sudden mm. this becomes like this is something I could do too, you know. Mm. And Julian, you start to say to me, you know, you've a head in your shoulders. You yeah. actually do well in college. Like you, you're smart. You know, there's something different about you. The way you talk and everything. If you say that, like you have a head. In your... And that was really how I ended up going through education. And obviously, mm. everybody knows. You know, I did well in education and all that. You know, and all the good that has come from it. So, mm. thank you very much. Everybody needs a bit of encouragement along exactly. the way. We all need it on some level. And I suppose, and we will wrap up. This, uh, you know, it's important for people to see that people from their communities can do it, mm. are, are doing it, so therefore they can do it with that encouragement. I suppose it's all about giving, asking for the help as Jim said, will go up, meaning, like meaning that you really want help because if you're somebody that's just any looking for it. Any to me, you go to any lens And for you're us. not going to stick to yeah. it, you know, it, you're not just wasting your time, you're wasting somebody else's yeah. opportunity And you're doing more the damage along need. the way. Yeah. You know, you know? so um, just, just, really really look at it and and um just go for it 
Yeah. Just go for it. We've said it exactly. a lot right. of things. Just Leap go for it. There's loads, of, there's loads of support out there for people. If yeah. people want to contact you, you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. So we'll uh, leave your link in the description of the video. Thanks a million for coming on. Thanks for Thanks, having Jillian. me. Thank you very much. It's been Thanks, great. Guys. And I think it'll help a lot of people and be very informative for others. And uh, it's great to have you on. Thanks, Roman. As always, thanks Timmy and thanks to everybody that watches, everybody that donates on the Patreon, you make it all possible. Um, we're always looking for more people to join the Patreon, Timmy and me. Mm. Um, so if you want to help us out and donate a couple of euros once a month, you can do that in the description in the video. Simple link. And uh, yeah, and even if you can't do that, that's okay too. We still provide the videos every week. So we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Good luck. Bye. 